0: Hi! Welcome back to Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, talks to all his beautiful creative friends. Today I'm in the beautiful town of Lyons, Colorado. I'll be talking with Chris D., Chris Davidson, who's an amazing artist, drawer, painter, sculptor, tattoo artist, medicine man, with lots of awesome things to say. It's a very interesting conversation and I hope you'll enjoy it. Woo! While the world is burning, got to make
1: amends. Walk on the sunny side with a positive lens. Talks about passion between the women and
0: Chris, how you doing? Good. Yeah, thank you for having me at your home here in Lions, Colorado. Am I saying it correctly, Lions? Lions,
1: yeah, totally. It's just yeah. spelled a little different. Uh huh. Yeah, Lions like the animal.
0: <laughs> beautiful. How is it living here?
1: It's good, man. I mean, it's, it's good living. It's, if you walk a little bit in any direction, it's really beautiful and inspiring. And I think in a bigger picture, maybe not far enough out from civilization and cities, but for now it's great. It's
0: mm-hmm. yeah. nature, good
1: people, yeah.
0: Foothills of the mountains.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're at that like uh, geological convergence point of the Great Plains colliding into the Rocky Mountains, and their meeting point is sort of where we're at. That's where Denver's at and Boulder, and it's its own thing. Yeah.
0: So it's not fully the Rockies, really. Yeah. Nope. And it's, it's
1: rocky-ish. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it's still like the east. Yeah, it's we're in the winds
1: ish. Yeah, it's this kind of overlap. Yeah. How's the
0: energy here?
1: It's good. Yeah, it's good. Um, I think you know most predominant. I, I feel the energy of the Rockies, and they're a younger mountain chain, so it's kind of like this. I feel like a a younger, masculine energy, and I feel like it's good for just like harnessing that full power in like your discipline and your work and your health and uh kind of like that healthy 25 year old masculine energy or something it's Uh not like the appalachians on the east coast that are like an old kind of elder type energy Mm -hmm. yeah
0: some people have told me that uh at least boulder works and more like there's like a more spiritual challenges or you know more work to be done in this area than a little bit more East.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I mean, I think there's something about, I mean, people have been here for for centuries, but it was colonized in the 1800s. And then, you know, there's something happened in the early 70s that was really spectacular. And there was this convergence of spiritual energy and like the, the Buddhist community and, you know, like Chogyam Trungpa coming here in the early 70s and um, even in, in 1974 these the seminars that they had and like Ram Dass was here and Jack Kornfield and like all these spiritual people and all these seekers and they all came here and Naropa Institute was started Chogyam Trungpa stayed here and, um, and it kind of set this sort of uh, spiritual energy mm-hmm. for the area that has maybe been diluted in parts, has maybe rooted deeper in other parts, but yeah, it's a, a special flavor from that time, yeah. Nice, uh-huh. but
0: you're originally from? Georgia,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Which city? Uh,
1: or... I, I grew up in, I say Atlanta, but it was the suburbs of Atlanta, and um, in the southeast, yeah.
0: Nice, there's another artist I interviewed recently, uh, John Gay, Okay. He, you, have you met him, or do you know him? I know the
1: name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably see it. if I saw his art, I would recognize it. Yeah, it's a yeah. lot
0: of female uh, uh-huh. depictions in interdimensional okay, cool realities. And he's also from Georgia.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Do you remember where?
0: Also from the First. somewhere around Atlanta, and then oh, he wow. lived in Atlanta. Uh huh. Have you lived in other places?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Georgia's been a base. I've left Georgia. I've come back to Georgia. Um, I've lived in Maui. I've lived in the West Coast a lot, Bay Area, San Francisco, kind of Oakland, Santa Cruz, and then and then a lot of traveling. And there's been times where it's just, there's no home, and I'm just traveling. And whether that be South America or India, and, and I'd, I'd say a, a good, fat decade there, I was just more traveling, in, which you can relate. Mm-hmm, you know, totally. You like kind of have a home, but you're like, on the move.
0: But this feels more like home now. Is this a place you want to stay for a while?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm unattached. I like the things that are happening here and I like the trajectories that are in motion. Um, And it feels like home. I've been in this house for six years, which compared to the like 20 years before that, is a really long time. So I feel more settled than I felt since I was like a teenager. I think, living with my parents. And, um, yeah, I could be here. I I think if I stayed in Colorado, I would go deeper into the mountains, um, like kind of towards Carbondale area or something, maybe. But for now, this is cool. Yeah, it's good vibes here. Yeah, Yeah.
0: it's pretty. It's pretty,
1: yeah. Feels good.
0: Nice. Um, A question I always make to my guests on this show when we start is if you remember where we met. Because you seem like a like an old friend to me that, you know, you, we seem like old friends, but we never really had a, a deep dive till today, till got here totally. a, an hour or two ago. Yeah. Um, but where we met in the, in the physical plane.
1: That's a good question. Yeah. I, well, I think the prelude to the physical plane was the, the virtual plane. And it was the early days of social media. And I knew of you because of my space. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might even been in my top whatever and uh, maybe we exchanged a little like comments or that sort of thing and um but we met i think at envision in 2015.
0: 2015 yeah Yeah.
1: you drew me in your journal uh-huh. we talked a little you lent me some titanium white acrylic paint <laughs> that i <laughs> that i returned a year later and um in a, <clears> in, <throat> in a different form and uh but yeah we didn't, we never really dropped in till this morning coming over and having breakfast so mm-hmm, yeah man. and i'm stoked it feels good and,
0: yeah. yeah, thank you, man, for yeah. uh, sharing the beautiful food and opening up your time and space here to connect a little bit deeper. <clears throat> and thanks for returning that titanium white. I think you gave me a way better brand than what I gave you at the time. you
1: got to upgrade it on the, on the boomerang, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, so you've been somebody that, as, as you're saying, like, you've been part of the uh, visionary art scene since, I guess, the, or at least the West Coast American seen for a while. Um, How you get into that? How did you observe it at its roots?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating to even reflect on it. Um, You know, growing up (coughs) in the suburbs of Atlanta led to me finding acid because the Grateful Dead would tour and then they would drop off acid like in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I took acid. That opened me up way outside of the box and culturally confined parameters of suburbia and i started drawing i had already already drawn but it opened up my drawings and i started doing psychedelic doodles they evolved i didn't know anybody else did anything like this and i think i saw alex gray in high times and i was like oh there's others out there that you know are way far down the, the road than i'm just barely dipping my toes into but the the big catalyst for me was um, I grew up with a lot of the guys in the band STS-9. Okay. And so there is a, in their genesis, there's a whole lot of just really fresh, mystified, exuberant energy, and I was part of that. And, um, and, you know, as the years went by, my drawings turned into paintings. Um, They turned into a little, from... They transformed from a little garage band into like a touring band. And then just as friends, I would travel with them. I'd paint on stage and I didn't know, I had no agenda. But that really was the sort of catalyst. That what
0: year is this more or less?
1: That was late 90s. I started live painting in 2000. Wow, that's old 2001, school. something around there. Wow. and um,
0: There's not a lot of live painting back then.
1: No, I knew of uh, Frenchy and Scramble Campbell. And, uh, and that's the only people I would ever see doing it. And then I heard about this guy, Jay Garcia. And then we would both paint with Sector 9 as, as the years went by. And um, But yeah, I was just thought it was cool, which is a good posture to start something, to just kind of find yourself in it, rather than like, oh, that thing's happening, and I want to do that. It's more just like authentically like, oh, can I paint here, and you know, and it just sort of organically evolved, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And when did, like, Jen Ingram find you, with, approve, try for teen and oh. invite you to participate?
1: Oh, that's a cool, yeah, that's a, that's a neat uh, question because, yeah, I think during this time, artists were starting to migrate onto the internet. This is even before Myspace, and people like Jen Ingram would see the other psychedelic artists. Fast forward a few years to 2003, there was the first interdimensional art show in Seattle.
0: Were, were you at that? Um, I only started joining <coughs> that around 2005. Right after
1: that. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> so, yeah, that's when I met, like, uh, all kinds of people. Like, uh, Bluetech was playing it. Mm-hmm. Roman, um, Luke Brown, Carrie Thompson. Um, Chris Cooksey was there, which was, like, super mind-blowing. I met Venosa there, I think, the first time. And... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a huge, just like, like it, it was amazing. Yeah.
0: How did it feel all of a sudden having a scene to the, this art you were doing?
1: Beautiful and and terrifying. I think. I mean, it was, I met incredibly awesome people, and I was also just really shy. You know, I was really shy at the time, and and you know, and, and kind of intimidated by it, but also wanted it and wanted to be involved in it. So it was this sort of non dual, uh, really potent time and experience. Yeah. And a big waking waking up time, you know, artistically and yeah, it was really special.
0: Nice. And how have you observed this small scene that at the beginning was only like 10 to 20 people tops, now flower into a whole thing that's got its own popularity and hundreds of hundreds of artists?
1: Yeah. (coughs) Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's probably like, you know, how there's like if you're a new heavy metal band, now you know then there's like only a few there's like a only a genre like in the early 80s but it's like uh it's just fractaled into many fingers of different subtle expressions over time and i actually i'm not like a huge metal fan so i don't really i can't really describe that but i think like psychedelic art visionary art it has had a similar pattern of evolution and infiltration in different parts of culture over the last 20 years or so especially with the live painting, because I did live painting through 2000 to like around 2010. I went through a big change, and then that led to me tattooing. And then I just kind of dipped from all of that, not meaning to, but when I resurfaced years later, there was like a whole new wave of people doing it. And it was more just like, like a culturally shocking, amazing sort of like, wow, like things are just growing in all these directions, you know
0: do you think that's like a reflection of our evolution as humanity that's more and more progressing into a psychedelic spiritual phase sure. and then there's need for more spiritual expressions to try to understand this evolution we're going through?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of younger people that we're seeing people do these things that were like, oh, I want to be an artist. So like the there's like an, uh, like an exponential force of inspiration that was happening because yeah, people want to be inspired and people want to express it. And, and yeah, and and there's just more readiness to explore psychedelic culture and, you know, all the internal explorations that come with that. And it's just the times. Yeah. It's just an unfolding that seems pretty natural. Beautiful. Uh, Do you
0: still life paint every now and then, or is that something of the past?
1: It's kind of of the past. I, I, I never consciously chose that, and I, I would do it again, but um I kind of just work really hard with what's going on here, and and I love the invitation system, and if a good invitation emerged, um, I, I would totally consider it and maybe do it. And I just haven't in a while. Most of my invitations are in the package of like tattooing or this commission piece or and I'm just kind of working with that, you know? Uh-huh. There's not really much time to be like, oh, I want to do this. I'm going to take the steps to manifest this thing. And I'm just kind of like flowing, you know, more flow based. Probably. Right.
0: You're present in your own personal process and expression. Mm-hmm. I, I was speaking with Jen recently, and she said that she wants to do some kind of 20 year interdimensional event. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Wow. So hopefully she'll bring all the old schoolers back. She's the one to do it. <laughs> yeah.
1: She was there in 2003 holding it down. She was holding down all the logistics and, you know, the glue that actually made it happen. Uh She rocks it like that. Yay, Jen, and yay, tri Totally.
0: Um, So tell me a little bit about your art, uh, which expresses through different mediums. It seems like it's some kind of interdimensional alien language or code that you're bringing through. Um, it's some kind of like channeling of some dimension that maybe you were, are part of in mm-hmm. some past life or existence. Uh, how do you observe your art?
1: I hope there's a past life correlation. I don't know. I just saw this communication from Alex Gray referencing uh, uh, an artist that he could have like reincarnated from, but he's not explicitly saying that. Do you know the artist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Deville? Deville, Yeah,
0: Yeah. he says he remembers being that in a past life and he's just continuing that work.
1: And he's humble about it. Like he's like, oh, I don't know. But you know, the the fantastical part of my imagination hopes there's currents like that that unfold through lifetime. That just sounds so like extraordinary. Um, So yeah, maybe there is like a multi-lifetime stream of like cultivation that happens. But um, in this lifetime, it's, it's kind of, I think with visionary art, you do have two sides of the spectrum. You do have like, um, people that receive visions, and then they've cultivated the skills to articulate them, to render them. And then on the other side of the spectrum, where I find more postured, it's more of a flow. And, um, and you know, if, if you're collecting life experience out here away from your art, it's still gonna like, bring you to a different part of the flow. And, and for me, it's like I was saying, when I took acid in the 90s, I just started doodling. And there were these sort of meandering, psychedelic doodles. And everything I've ever done feels like an evolution of a doodle. And um, so yeah, it, it, at times it feels like channeling and it, it's not, a, it doesn't feel like a byproduct of my mind. It feels like my mind orienting to a flow state to something greater. I don't know how it works, you know, like kind of aligning to the current of some divine creativity. And um, I think underpinning on a, techno, on a technical level underpinning all my art it's um, I'm a drawer I draw and uh, you I could say doodle but really I draw when I was just a painter I still didn't really feel like a painter but I was using the medium of paint to visually articulate my drawings and and then even in tattoo um, even culturally much respect to many facets um, of the entirety of tattoo culture I don't feel like a tattooer culturally totally even though I resonate with it and support a lot of aspects of it, I just feel like I'm drawing and I'm articulating my drawings through the medium of a tattoo and able to relate with people in a way that supports their intentions and and their inspiration or their healing or whatever's going on with them. And uh, so it's just like working with that medium. But at the end of the day, I draw. And um, in, in tattoo culture now, there's people are on iPads a lot, which... No um, pretentiousness towards that, but I don't use it because I like drawing on paper. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as I can see and I'm in, in a body, I'll be drawing in some form or fashion. Right,
0: your old you school know? analog. Yeah. You like that romanticizing,
1: the... but yeah.
0: I like that too. Yeah, totally. Uh, as much as I'll also use an iPad sometimes for a different sure. purpose. Right, right. So there's not like a conscious awareness of this communication you're having with a different dimension per se.
1: It feels like it. But i don't know you know at this point i I feel like i I know less but i know when there's that resonance of the flow state and the flow state of creativity is beyond the experience of mind and mind is just aligning to it so yeah there is a, a thing and with tattooing because it's so intuitive like if i draw for you and we've never even met the drawing is going to intuitively meander into a different realm because I'm tuning into you and I don't know how that works, yeah. but it, but it works enough to be like, okay, that's legit. That, that, that happens. And I can even rely on it, you know, Uh uh-huh. um, even though it might be imperfect or. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's life. Yeah, I'm excited life. to see what you channel or as you delve into my energy more and more, what will come out as you tattoo me, you know, whenever that will happen in a few weeks or
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited too. Yeah. I think it'll
0: be awesome. I'll donate the sides of my head to your
1: expression. That's exciting to to me.
0: To express something in me. Oh man, I'm not looking forward to it, but I I feel I should finish this helmet crown situation. Cool. As much as it's an incredibly painful, difficult situation to go through. It's
1: a sensitive area, man. Yeah. Totally. I'll be honored. And I think after taking the time to just Even before camera here, on camera, and just talk and connect, it calibrates something energetically for optimal flow with the tattooing medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm stoked.
0: Beautiful. I'm sure it will all be blessings Mm -hmm. uh, materialized into physical form for a a code to uh, improve you know whatever is going around this crazy apparatus. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So there's nothing uh, specific that you would say comes through the codes that you're bringing through.
1: I mean, when I first started drawing tattoos, I would, I would get stuff. I like leaving it open, um, and not defining it or compartmentalizing it because I feel like my ego will get involved and I'll like end up boxing something in, mm-hmm. and then you know, with the tattooing, it's interesting because people are like, it's not, usually it's not, um, realistic. It's a geometrical talisman of sorts, um, a composition of geometries or I call celestial braille. And, um, and so people are like, well, what does this mean? And I'm like, well, there's my creative intuition and energy. There's obviously your energy, but Even if I'm getting little specific intuitive inklings along the way, the meaning really rests on your intention. So I like kind of orienting it to that. Like, yeah, there's a flow of things seemingly channeling through, but um, if your intention is to cultivate more inspiration in your life or heal this ancestral thing or to just celebrate cool art, I think that sort of is the tip of the spear of meaning with the tattoo. So I like leaving it kind of open and ambiguous, which could seem like a cop-out in a way, but it's, there's, there's something to it. Well,
0: it leaves it more open to the true flow to happen, as you say, without having to box it or figure it out with the mind, right. which truly never really knows. All I'm going to say is like, I hope that my higher self and your higher self on the other side of reality will tag team up there and channel whatever has to come through.
1: Totally. Yeah, yeah. May that, that, that connection be just optimal and harmonious and just really connected so that the best expression can come out. Mm-hmm. I think it will.
0: Yeah. So beautiful. I'm stoked. So you're saying you work with intuition and, you, and you've told me you're an empath. Uh, I don't know if that uh, is a kind of psychic ability or sensitivity. How do you define being an empath? What's having empathy or what does this mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's spectrums to things. And and it's my understanding of these things is a work in progress. But, you know, like say you could have somebody that's like not quite like on an autistic spectrum. There's somebody that's maybe like a little Asperger's-ish. And they have certain like cerebral advanced faculties and maybe like, they're lacking a little bit of empathy and they miss some social cues or something, you know, just saying that as there's like a spectrum to these things. And I think with like a clairvoyant spectrum, there's also a wide spectrum and there, there are people that can like uh, we've talked about earlier, can see like other entities or maybe talk to people's ancestors or I I don't really have that experience so much. Um, Or, you know, some people are very like extraterrestrial oriented and, they claim to be abducted or they interdimensionally talk to other beings and stuff like that. And um, for me, it's just like this, the clairvoyant spectrum does have like a, an empathic category. And what would, uh, and then there's a spectrum within that. And for me, it's just like having a highly sense of energy and how things feel and, um, and really feeling um, the sort of undercurrent of how other people feel. And I feel it as if it's inside of my system. And, um, and I think that was very problematic for like my mother and when she was alive and some of my ancestors. Um, so if you have a lot of unconsciousness and trauma and you feel everything around you, that's, that's a tough cocktail to swallow. And, um, but in a healthy sense, it's just being really attuned to, to energy. And, um, and, you know, like, like with tattooing, maybe... I do a tattoo but the night before i kind of dream how that's gonna feel how my client's gonna feel and it's within like riddled dream language but um the more i can approach it in a healthy way and not be overwhelmed by it or not like have addictive relationships with it then it's more of like it's more of a, a gift thing than like a curse thing everybody's got it. Everybody's gifts are also curses, you know. Right. But I think it's, you know, it's a, there's a spectrum. Yeah. Of, uh-huh. It's intuition. Yeah. Has
0: it taken you some years to uh, deal with your own level of opening where perhaps it's difficult to ground on the physical plane when you got spiritual openings that are a gift but perhaps also a uh, curse? Totally. What's your um, method to deal with it?
1: Totally. Well, I mean, it's, it's been a journey. I mean, I think I'm 44 now. I think until I was about 37, everything I unconsciously felt on some unconscious level, I thought it was my fault because that was like the old ancestral story. Um, you know, I think being a teenager and taking psychedelics and having unresolved trauma and kind of being an empathic person led me to leave my body. So I, I don't feel ungrounded now so much, but in my 20s, I felt really ungrounded. And, um, and just kind of, like, always hovering up here. That's why I smoke tobacco, like, all the time, like, oh, how do I find the ground? Um, yeah, I worked through those things, and coming into my 30s, it's more about embodiment and, um, and not having addictions, because addictions are things you do externally that kind of numb or pacify something that feels too much, and life felt too much for a long time, so I would smoke, or I'd eat sugar, and you know, have unhealthy food habits and stuff. So, so I think the the opposite of the addict is more of the healer. The opposite of the healer, the shadow of it, is more the addict. And um, so now it's just about being really healthy. It's about self care and embodiment. Like, what do we need to do, and what discipline do we need to have to be in our bodies in an optimal way, where we're healthy and we're really with life, whether it feels shitty whether it feels incredibly inspiring, we're just like present, we're engaged, we're not numbing, we're not escaping. And it kind of like, everything lines up after that. Mm -hmm. And that's a work in progress. It's a stumbling path sometimes. Right. But I think ultimately these things are gifts, you know?
0: Right, because you have to be brave through the hard times, through the pains, through the discomforts. You just have to like sit with it and accept it and surrender to the hard times and not try to cop out and escape all the time.
1: Yeah. Totally. Right. Be present,
0: you know? Easier said than done. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, it's something I'm always working with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about mediums. Uh, You're a drawer. Yeah. And there's, I know you've done different mediums of expressions. And in the art world, sometimes there seems to be some kind of hierarchy where drawing leads to painting and Uh, Maybe perhaps acrylic painting leads into oil painting, the master uh, technique, Uh, but you're very comfortable to be like, no, drawing is what I do and this is my form of expression. How how do you observe all this?
1: Yeah, that's that's a a great question. I mean, yeah, there are sort of more typical worn paths of progression through mediums where people kind of... Graduate into even with sculpture, you get into like you head towards a temple really with a lot of sculpture, you know, bigger and bigger until it's like, and uh, oh that's great, and uh, but for me I think when you strip it all down, it's like it's this working with energetics type thing, and I feel like like uh, some type of like my inclinations are that of like some kind of energetic architect or something, and it seems like the best medium excuse me, is uh, drawing it and working with grids. I've always like worked with grids. Sometimes like this stuff here, I'm, I'm off the grid, but uh, always kind of working with grids. And um, uh, yeah, it just, it, it works to always come back to that. Because even, even if I'm gonna do a sculpture, if I'm gonna do a tattoo, if I'm gonna do a painting, it's a, the base is gonna be the grid and it's gonna be the drawing. And for me, it's just because of like, I think my intrinsic creative nature, it just works, you know. Mm. Yeah.
0: What's the difference between, say, a drawing that's a uh, uh, symmetrical, uh, sacred geometry kind of thing and something that's just random and perhaps chaotic looking? Right. What's the value in each one?
1: Yeah, uh, it's like, you know, if you're a yoga practitioner, there's certain asanas and sequences that you may go through and then. You know, if you're, if, you're for, if you're folding forward, you need to fold backwards afterwards. Um, there's like counter poses to everything to have balance. And I think for me, always making art, I'm always drawing. You know, if I take a vacation or go and retreat, it's, I'm drawing something different. So I'm always finding the counter pose. And um, when I first started drawing, it was kind of asymmetrical. But symmetry and interdimensional geometry has always been like the, the, main, the, the top of the mountain for, for my creative reach and expression. But when I go really hard with it, I kind of need the counterpose. So with some of these newer drawings that have no grid, they're very multi-dimensional asymmetri- asymmetrical abstractions. And it just feels mm. good. You know, mm. it feels good to just like
0: Shuffle the deck. Shuffle and, it and
1: like get lost, you mm-hmm. know? And it, it's taken me a while to be able to get lost more. Because I think uh, I had more like in, like mental control over my reality and it was hard to let go. But as I've been able to cultivate more just letting go in life, then I'm kind of like, oh, I'm going to invest my energy into this drawing, get really attached to it, make a decision that jeopardizes all of it, and and then <laughs> break through and trust that something new is going to come through. Uh-huh. And some people do this from the beginning really well. Uh-huh. For me, it's, it, I've had to like really loosen up over time, it's like very uptight at first and and geometry was like, I could keep control more. And I still channel something through, but like, it's nice letting go.
0: Right, yeah. it's, it's kind of like a Shiva situation of creation, destruction, creation, yeah. destruction.
1: Yeah, life and death and, you know, just dancing through these polarities creatively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So what's your experience with other uh, mediums? Like you've done sculptures and you've done paintings. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your experience through it?
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I had I've had, a year where I made these little sculptural things, more relief sculptures, because I've drawn two-dimensionally for so long. The logical progression for me into sculpture is like a relief sculpture, pulling it off of the two-dimensional plane. I would love to build more architectural stuff later in my life. Um, None of those irons are exactly in the oven right now, but um, yeah, yeah, so I've just dabbled with sculpture. I had painting for 10 years, Now I don't paint that much, and um, sometimes I'll do digital art because if I'm so buried in tattoos and I kind of need to exercise that non-specific creativity that's not for anybody, but I need the immediacy because I don't have a whole lot of time, the immediacy of the digital medium is really nice because you can just like fly through infinite decisions efficiently and work with a smaller time parameter, and that's really cool. And um, so, as much as I'm a drawer, I will scan drawings, manipulate them digitally and just explore and experiment and and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So, it it seems like you're very strong in the black and white uh, uh, platform, what's your relationship with color?
1: Color, I I love color and um, when I was a painter, I would draw a painting. Or if I started painting at first, I would focus on form. And for my creative inclinations, it's form and then color. And color follows form. And I'm kind of just enamored by form a lot of times. And I think form with tattooing, it's like, how do you fit form on the body? And I don't even pay attention to color because it's kind of a different technique that I, I haven't mastered. So I've just kind of been in form mode. But in the last few years, with some of my digital work, I'll do color and it'll be really bright, like a full spectrum color, just because I don't get a lot of color and I need to like hyper inject it <laughs> into the creative project, uh, process. And um, who knows? When I painted, I did a, lot of, a fair amount of color and maybe like if I'm blessed to live long life, I'll have like a big era of tons of color just to counterpose <laughs> uh-huh. this phase of black and white. You know? uh-huh. I don't know. That's great.
0: It's good that you're always changing and moving and not, uh, staying stuck in something that perhaps works really good for you. Yeah. It's, it's brave to like, you know what, I'm going to go back to the position of discomfort to to. see what medicine comes from it.
1: Got to man. You got to, I mean, you, you do see a lot of artists, they find their thing and they ride that thing and then it gets stale and then maybe something else doesn't happen or they ride that thing and find ways to just keep it going. But I think for the many years of being creative, like you have to like have a lot of many deaths and and hit different edges of uncomfort for it to just be thriving continually. I see that in your work, and you know, and I, I see that the work you do in yourself brings you to those edges. And so the art keeps staying fresh and novel, you know? Uh Uh-huh, keep on
0: playing, having fun. If not, shit gets boring. It does, and then it
1: repeats. It's like rerun mode. It's like, ugh, that's that's a different thing.
0: (laughs) Right, I'm somewhere else by now, so something new has to express through it. Yeah,
1: yeah, completely.
0: So tell me a little bit about your collaborations with David Hale. You had like, what, like a year or two that you were collaborating strongly with him?
1: Probably more. We have a cool brotherhood and totally unique friendship and it's still alive in its current form and um, tremendous love and respect. Um, he's coming out here in a couple months. He'll do a little pop-up show and maybe we'll make some things. And, but he contacted me in 2004 because he saw one of my posters in an ex-girlfriend's dad's restaurant random sort of synchronicity of things contacted me I was in Hawaii I didn't have cell reception but I did when he called I just talked to like this mentor about having an apprentice I was like hey you want to be my apprentice <laughs> and he, he's you know I was like 27 then he was 21 so it was like the right age sort of uh, relationship to do that and then he was in college he would come and paint some of my paintings and we just liked each other and then um, fast forward a couple years I got this mural job I got in over my head. It was just too much. And then I was like, hey, David, you want to come help me? He came, like, totally saved my ass. He's super talented. And, and he's one, if not the most, just talented and creative individuals in just how he approaches everything. And, yeah, he solved all these problems in this mural project. And we spent a lot of time together and um, just got closer. And then, you know, years went by. And then at some point... He, um, he started tattooing, and then I was going through a big change, I was around him. He's like, hey, do you want to collaborate on this show and, um, that we eventually called Medicina? And I did. I spent a year. Where was it? It was in uh, Atlanta first. Then we did a one in Denver, um, kind of like an echo of that show, like a part two. What was the gallery? it was the new conscious gallery at the very beginning uh-huh. yeah it was kind of a different thing at the very beginning yeah and um and then yeah through the time of working on that first medicina show we uh he, he just showed me how to tattoo and i was going through a big change and um yeah it, it just he was, showed
0: you how to tattoo yeah so
1: I, he was kind of my my apprentice in my painting studio and then 6 years later i was kind of his apprentice so we have this kind of like flip-flopping relationship wow, and he's so younger but sometimes I'm like oh you're like my, my little big brother but you're bigger and I'm little it's this funny thing uh-huh. you know and we have really beautifully unique and uh, dynamic friendship it's awesome and um, so yeah he showed me how to tattoo and then um, I started traveling and you know learned some on my own too but he was the catalyst and the spark for the medium. Wow, so yeah.
0: cool. Where does he live these days? He's
1: still in Athens, Georgia. Uh-huh. Yeah, he lives a little outside of Athens on some land and, yeah, with his family. He has two, two children and awesome wife and has a really cool, hyper-unique and creative reality that's just thriving. And every time I talk to him, I'm like, dude, you're working on that? Like, you're, you're chainsawing this hawk out of this old, tree and painting it for this thing and this other thing he's just like so inspiring nice i
0: hope to meet him one day oh yeah Uh, we talked a little bit also in the myspace days and we were together in a skateboarding book because i think he was a skateboarder and skateboard artist at the beginning he
1: did some surf art too Mm -hmm. a little bit yeah
0: Yeah, well, I hope to meet him someday. He seems very nice. Oh,
1: y'all would totally get along. Certainly
0: talented. So when did you start tattooing as, uh, you know, I'm sure you were learning for a while, but when did you're like, okay, I'm a tattooer, people come to me and...
1: Slightly too soon. This (laughs) is the, yeah, this is the thing with with artists that tattoo. There's tattooers that learn their art through the medium of tattooing, through the craft. And uh, that's one thing. And that's more traditional. All good. And... um, a lot of artists that come to tattooing kind of have the artist's ego of like, oh, I can pick up sculpture and do it and I'll figure it out. It's worked with painting. It's worked with photography. It's worked with my whole life. So then they encounter the craft of tattooing. They're like, oh, I can figure it out. Like I'm capable and blah, blah, blah. But there's some things that just aren't intuitive that you you learn the hard way. And um, so yeah, I David showed me how to tattoo, did the apprenticeship thing in a shop, slightly informal, but you know, learned a lot, but then I was like, oh, I've been a traveling artist, so I just started traveling, doing the nomad thing, setting up in different places, and I, I encountered some tattoos where I was like, oh, I'm not experienced enough to get through this. And I did somehow, but it was really stumbly for a couple years, and it was just hard. It's a hard medium. Yeah, you and don't want
0: to make mistakes on something permanent on somebody's body. Totally. It's a lot of pressure.
1: And the body and the skin, the skin is the nervous system on some level. It's a complex variable to weave into your visual medium that you're marking, you know. It's hard to work with. Everybody's different and, you know, the way people feel and how they eat and what they think about and where they're, you know, all these things sort of like create this multi-variable thing you have to work with.
0: How is it uh, having a medium that actually feels pain as an empathic person? that probably has compassion for the person you're drawing on and they're going through a lot of pain sometimes. How is that relationship?
1: It's, that's been challenging at times. I feel like I'm in a better relationship with it than I've ever been. And if, if you're an empathic person and then you're touching somebody's body as you tattoo them for many hours and you're stabbing them with a needle, the tattoo and energy is moving because of that, then you're going to feel some stuff. Not always, but sometimes. And if you have confusion around your empathy and what you feel, it can be confusing. And, you know, you can do a tattoo, and afterwards you can feel awesome or wrecked. So really, it calls for um, just optimizing your health and your vitality. Because I find if if I've slept good, I've been eating good, I'm doing all my practices to just upkeep my self-care, then I can feel whatever and not be swayed. But if I'm under-rested and I've been stressed out or, you know, whatever, then I feel more vulnerable to the things I feel, and it it can be a wrecking ball, and I could resent the medium even. And then, you know, then that's time to, like, take a break, reset, come back in full vitality, and, like, stay the practice of just really showing up in the best way you can. As much as possible.
0: Do you have like a technique for cleansing out those energies that are not yours?
1: Yeah yeah I mean a lot of things if I if I do it if I'm feeling a little worn I do a tattoo and it feels energetically heavy smudging with uh, like Palo Santo is is really great Um, just intentionally in my mind like picturing what's mine energetically and what's not and that I'm, I'm cleansed helps Grounding myself, visualizing, grounding myself. Um, Taking just time to myself to just kind of be and decompress without taking in more input from life. Um, Taking baths with lots of salt, really clear my energy. Always take a shower. Anytime I I tattoo, I have to shower afterwards. I don't go to sleep without taking a shower because I might end up digesting some of the unresolved energies in my dreams or something. So you just got to, like, keep it clean. Exercise is good. Um, Qigong is awesome. I'm not, like, a master with Qigong or anything, or or, I don't even mean to say master, just I'm not super proficient, but just some simple Qigong, just, like, energy stirring, clearing exercises really helps. Right. Meditation, you know, meditating and, like, recalibrating your breath, you do, like, let go of stuff, and it's like... um, yeah, simple things that don't seem to the complex mind that they would help, often really help. Right. You just have to have the discipline to do them uh-huh. when you're tired and you want to just like, ah, and eat whatever. And, right,
0: you know. <laughs> kind of underestimate those practices. I love yeah. Qigong too. You do? Cool. Yeah, I should do it every morning. Agreed. Just to move the energy through my body and be more centered. But Yeah, it's a busy you ever just life.
1: shake? You know, like there's a Qigong shaking where it just feels like you're, it's like if you take a rug outside and you're like clearing uh-huh. it. It feels like it's doing that to your your energy body. <laughs>
0: I think I got skateboarding for that. Oh
1: yeah, total. <laughs> running or something, exercise. Right,
0: just like some degree of violent mo- movement. Right. And just sweating.
1: Yes, yeah, clear okay. it. Uh huh.
0: Totally. So, how many years now have you been a tattooer? Uh, like now, I, I imagine you're comfortable in it. You feel like a professional. You do a good job. What's What's your journey in it by
1: now? Well. Earlier on, if I took, like, a two-week break, I would feel like I lost my touch. Now, I don't feel that as much. But it is a medium where, on some level, you're always a beginner. And, uh, it, like, every tattoo, I feel, on some level, a beginner. And I have a more of a relationship with that and how to work with that, you know. Um, I think it will always be that way. On some level, I always feel like, God, oh, I can't do that. Or it's 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 there's such perfection in the imperfection mm-hmm. and it's always humbling in ways that drawing is not or you know painting just like if you're painting abstractly or something and just expressing is all perfect you know and even if it's not the perfect thing but like yeah tattooing's it's hard but it, i do there are things that feel more smooth and reliable than it did earlier on no nice. thank god for that yeah I have nightmares early on uh-huh. you know i would do a tattoo and it just didn't feel right and then it would just echo and like three days later I'd have a dream that he didn't like it or, you know, it was like it was emotionally kind of hard.
0: You had to drop the guilt of it yeah. whenever you didn't feel it was perfect. Right,
1: because or- I was used to having such control over a painting and I would just tinker with it to the nth degree until it was done. And then with tattooing, you can't. That would be traumatizing the skin. So it's, it's just, it was good for me. Maybe let go.
0: Right. You Uh got to embrace the perfect imperfections of life.
1: Yeah. And just accept it. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh.
0: And now you have your own tattoo studio, Soul Hawk? Soul Hawk. Yeah. Tell me about it.
1: Well, it's the newest iteration of different private studios that I've had where I've tattooed. This iteration is more of a collaboration with my wife, Kati Floor, and um, it's here in Lyons it's an old bank building um, that was made in 1917 so it's just got a lot of character and it feels good those old bank walls are like really thick it like it's a solid container like really holds whatever's going on in a, a good way and just aesthetically feels awesome and um, it's also an art gallery where we, we, last year we did art shows this year I'm kind of shifting to more spontaneous pop-ups um, we have different events, like uh, concerts. I like the spontaneity. Like, I don't want to manage a calendar and like, hey, this is our calendar for the year. I like just things to happen synchronistically and boom, we're doing this awesome thing. It's word of mouth and then it's gone. I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of like off the map business model. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, and we, all, we have like meditation classes a little bit. Um, we have a Qigong teacher that teaches a class. Um, different like tea ceremonies, uh, different workshops. So it's a real multidisciplinary space, but most often it's tattooing and there's some other tattooers in there working.
0: Nice. I wonder if it, because it's a a bank building, it has the energy that attracts money to it.
1: Yeah. It depends how, how they're, uh, I guess the fate of the bank, which I don't know much about. Um, you know, this bank, it was 1917, so it survived the great depression Uh and, um, and then supposedly in the 20s, bank robbers rolled in on horses, I don't know, <laughs> and, and dynamited the safe that's still in there. Wow. And they didn't get the money. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's probably good juju. Like, uh-huh. it nothing was stolen, you know? And, um, and then the guy that owned it, um, he was respected because people lost their money in the Great Depression, and that's why like, now the Fed backs money but he went far and beyond supposedly getting people their money back. Mm. So I think that's probably a good mojo too. Yeah, good ethics. Um, yeah, good energy good in there. Good karma. Good karma. Yeah. So it seems like there's some integrity there, so Nice. Less to clear, more to just keep on going hopefully uh-huh. yeah that's awesome uh-huh.
0: so uh, how as much as you want to be an organic uh, gallery owner how is it being a gallery owner as an artist is it like a lot more responsibility is it a headache is it a pleasure it's your chance to empower people or you know something okay. that gets annoying sometimes
1: excellent question all, and all of that last year it was um i felt overworked like i was doing three full-time jobs just trying to execute all of these ideas and um, making an art show happens I didn't know like the ins and outs but it's a lot it's a lot of energy and uh, as you know and so I felt spread thin last year and this year I've just kind of like brought it back in what's sustainable with my energy how can I have balance in life and I like when there's a spark of interest with a collaborator being an artist or a musician or something that we can make a thing happen and, and it's just more energetically efficient. I like that and um, I love the moment where the art's coming on the walls and we've hung everything and I'm vibing with the artist and then the art opening's gonna happen and they're really stoked and I love all that magic but it's hard sustaining like a full year's worth of art shows events, classes, and all of the logistics. So I've kind of backed, I've retreated to have more balance. Because, you know, the, you can only, and like, to, to, to be creative, you can only absorb so many like mundane logistics without just squeezing out every drop of creativity. And then if you've always been creative, and then you do that, then you're just depressed, you know, it's like, you can't, there's no turning back if you've really opened the creative current. Right. So I, I'm just learning a lot. It's been humbling. Yeah. yeah,
0: I can totally relate to that balance between a businessman with yeah. lots of responsibilities and just wanting to be a mystic creative doing its thing.
1: Right. Hmm. And taking a left when you want to or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: Right. So if you've taken this responsibility to any degree that you want to express it, but uh, it's still there to some degree. Um, how are art sales these days? How do you observe... Um, just business in general as somebody involved in the art
1: world? Um, Yeah, I mean, tattooing has been great. And the whole uh, COVID narrative era, whatever you want to call it, more people wanted to get tattooed during that time. Hmm. So for tattooers, there's room for you. (laughs) Um, So for tattooers, it's it was you know it, it worked for a lot of tattooers for art sales I don't know I mean the art shows did pretty good every one we did some art would sell and um, for my business model with artists I'm not like a gallery that's cultivating continually cultivating relationships with prospective buyers I'm more just like hey I have this awesome space and I kind of if you're gonna show in there you have to bring some audience into it and um, and when people have done that things have sold and. It's a great container for that transaction to be cultivated, but um, I don't have like a list of like 20 years of, of relationships with different clients and stuff, which mm-hmm. at times I'm like, oh, it'd be cool if I had that.
0: <laughs> Do you care if a show sells out or has zero sales or you're kind of like detached from that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I have to have some level of detachment of there being no sales because on a capitalistic level, that feels like a failure to me, mm-hmm. um, even though it's not just about that. Um, it's nice just having art on the walls, but um, I hope stuff sells, yeah. Mm-hmm. More for the, the for
0: the sake of the artist.
1: For the sake of the artist and it helps the gallery too mm-hmm. and gallery gets a modest percentage. Um, no, I, I prefer that to happen and I'm more attached to that happening, but I have to kind of be a little unattached because with art, it's like, you never know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always, there's such a wild card element to it so i think in the future if we're to sustain in this space we do pop-up shows with artists that can bring clients into there we create really awesome events around it and then in the time in between i just show my own art and then i can be unattached to that i'm like cool my art's in the walls and um, i can share it that feels really good and if i sell anything it's a bonus to life and if i don't i'm thankful to have a space to just share mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
0: beautiful what about uh, the factor that you're in Lions, which is what, like an hour away from Denver? Yeah. Uh, does that affect people, or the people coming to these shows are locals, or do a lot of people drive from Denver and Boulder? What, yeah. What's that factor?
1: That's, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people come from Boulder. Some people come from Denver. My tattoo clients come from all over, and Lyons is actually cool, because you know, if you're coming from like, Cleveland or New York, or just somewhere really different, it's neat to stay in Lyons for a couple days. Oh, well, I'm going to walk around on these trails and uh-huh. and uh, feel a different vibe. Charming. It's charming, yeah, a little mountain town. and um, Feel like a cowboy. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little, little twist of that.
0: Looking for some gold or something.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, that's how it started. It's all these gold mines up in the hills and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I think if we were closer to Denver, more people would come to some of the events. But we do get Denver people, and... Um, Yeah, other businesses in Lyons are hoping that the people, the tourists going up to Rocky Mountain National Park and Estes Park stop here, come into their store, and buy something. That's just not on my radar at all. And I also don't really promote it um, in any conventional means. I like people just finding it. And when you walk by it, you might not even know what it is. It doesn't explain it. You kind of have to figure it out. Maybe on some marketing levels, that's bad. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, come figure it out. Or don't. It's like, it's all good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you just accept and surrender whatever happens yeah. as, as it is.
1: I like that. And then the events that happen, it spreads organically through word of mouth. And then the right people come at the right time. And there's something just cool about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we need that, I think, as a culture. These just things that come together because it's just, there's a vibe about it. Uh-huh. You know? right? Nice. And It's not planned too much and... It's like containers for cultural bubbling, you know.
0: Sounds less pretentious than a lot of galleries.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the white cube with all these vibes and stuff. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Um, you were telling me earlier that you started investigating the psychedelic world uh, through acid in the 90s. Mm-hmm. What's other medicines that you've worked with, and uh, what's your relationship with the medicine path these days?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, acid was the huge catalyst in the nineties took a break. It was a catalyst in, you know, 2000 to 2010. Um, the big thing has been, uh, working in South America with ayahuasca and, uh, and there's been other psychedelics, but it's mainly been ayahuasca and ayahuasca has, uh, Yeah, it's it's really changed my life. It's brought a tremendous amount of healing um, interpersonally and ancestrally. Um, A tremendous amount of reorientation to my inspiration and how I make art. Um, I think it's really... Tattooing kind of came out of it, just timing-wise. And so there's uh, this sort of... I don't know, medicine quality to the tattooing that was imprinted at the beginning. And um, so, yeah, inspiration, healing, teaching. And it's just really, like, over time, swept out a lot of my bad habits and patterns I was unconscious of. And it's been, like, a very deep, like, uh, interdimensional chiropractor Mm -hmm. realigning my entire life. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, I'm really thankful that I encountered it in the ways that I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love ayahuasca.
0: But say she is your um, medicine of choice. Is there other medicines you will do or you know that maybe not all of them are for you and you stay away from some?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I definitely feel a a great sensitivity, respect, and uh, just curiosity about all medicines that powerfully alter consciousness. And am curious when other people, you know, there's people I talk to and they're like, wow, I I, I healed my depression and anxiety with um, 20 ketamine treatments. And I've never used ketamine and um, I don't feel called to it. So therefore I don't use it. But if people have worked with it and it's changed their life in a great way, amazing. And um, like mushrooms, like I'm in full support of all the, um, research happening with how uh, psilocybin can help numerous things and heal all kinds of traumas and, and all this stuff. It's not my medicine, and um, but a great reverence and, and respect. Uh, occasionally, like different cactus medicines, like the San Pedro, and um, I'll work with. Um, I'll microdose acid at times. I it, you know it's really good just creatively and working. Um, we'll always have just a deep love for good LSD. And uh, it's I, I probably wouldn't even be sitting here without it, and how it affected me in my teens. Um, but yeah, then other like DMTs, like like there's other popular ones like the bufo frog. I feel like a like I feel the spirit of that that frog, and and don't feel called to, don't feel called to iboga or datura. <laughs> to you know, I, I'm aware of these things, but uh, yeah, ayahuasca is just it's like I found my well and pulled up water with it, and it's pure and works for me and hopefully um, I'll have the, just the blessed opportunity to dip my toes into those waters um, here and there through my life. Mm-hmm. You know? So
0: you don't feel like a curiosity or need to try all of the medicines just because they're there?
1: No, and, and there are some people that are postured in this archetypal psychonaut path where they will try all of these medicines or if they're even within one medicine, they'll try these different ways of um, practicing These medicines, there's different lineages, and they want to explore all the spectrum of them, and that works for their makeup, and it's fascinating to me. It would be like listening to a lot of radio stations at once Mm -hmm. for me, and it just sounding like, oh, I need, like I found the channel that works for me, that works, and um, and then meanwhile I'll be a you know, an inspired spectator at how the, these medicines continue to interwine and unfold in culture and pro- hopefully keep helping people in all these ways, you know? Because generally they do. Mm-hmm. You hear about these negative experiences or whatever, but generally these are sacred medicines that um, have so much to offer and have helped like just infinite and um, just countless lives tremendously, you know?
0: Right. The, yeah. Yeah, you know, this is a, a a question that I'm sure it's about personal preference or what you need but do you think if say you're too sensitive and AYA works for you but then you start uh trying other medicines it might even not move you forward but might even make you move backwards by breaking something in you that perhaps you didn't need to be broken yeah what's what's the caution we have to have with how much we take in this path of trying to become our higher selves.
1: Totally. I think we need a lot of uh, caution and a a lot of discernment. And if that's not even clear what that is, then, you know, you need to get clear on who your influences are and and who like your teachers or facilitators are and what are their lives like, you know, it's like, oh, I want to go like do this psychedelic ceremony with this person. And it's but I don't really know them. Well, like, who do you know that knows them? Or, what is, how do, what is their life like on a Tuesday when they have to run errands at Target and they get stressed out? And, you, you know, it's like, how are they like on a well-rounded sort of level? But, you know, as far as using these medicines, I think, it's, I don't think it's good for most people to just be like combining stuff. Some people might have a constitution and they can handle it. And maybe in most cases people can handle it, but sometimes they can't. So it's, it's important to like use each one with respect in a container that's you know respectable and solid and um i think so there's a lot of people in like our sort of spiritually material culture and our consumer culture and it's like oh how many um times can i trip or how many ceremonies can i do and or how many cups can i take yeah in one yeah, 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 like, how, yeah exactly how it's much like can i drink beer or how beer many chugging can i take and <laughs> and it's this old it's this outdated cultural mentality applied to something totally different and then if there's unresolved trauma or pockets of unconsciousness with some skeletons in that closet which everybody has and you take too much of something it can like release and stir things up quicker than is uh you may have the capacity for and some people get disturbed and some people um encounter confusion and i think there's a a healthy and grounded way to go about it and there's You know, it's good to just find good influences and and mentors about Mm. it. To be responsible, you know, for your life.
0: Yeah, totally Mm. agree.
1: Yeah.
0: I see you using uh, eyesight glasses. (laughs) They're very uh, beautiful. Uh, What's your relationship with your eyesight?
1: That's a great question. Yeah, I, like I said earlier, I'm 44. When I was 37, um, I you know, if I drove, like, on a snowy day, I would feel like I was strained later when I was tattooing or drawing, and I remember when I was a kid, my dad would pick something up, and he'd go, and I, like, did that a couple times, I was like, fuck, am I going blind, I was, and then I was, like, you know, hypochondriac style, like, thinking I was going blind, go to the eye doctor, and uh, thinking I'm going to get this terrible diagnosis, and she's like, oh, you just need, like, the, the, the most basic reading glasses ever. You're it, in your normal. 40s, <laughs> you know, it happens. And, you know, I, I've had more screens, so it's a little earlier than maybe the earlier generation. Um, so, yeah, now I have this thing here. I call it my um, uh, pentagonal bag of ocular enhancement. Wow. And uh, I have all these glasses Damn. and uh, it's ridiculous and awesome. It looks and, pretty cool um, to me. What I've noticed is that I need different levels of magnification for every few inches, just because, huh? you know, which probably would be the same for you or any artist. We get so uh, realized optically on a certain plane that we're focusing on, where most people that aren't as visual, it's, this could be averaged. And once you need readers, maybe you need one uh, magnification. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the situation. It's slowly changing over time. Uh, Thank God I hear it levels out at some point. Uh Um, But there is macular degeneration in my family. Not everybody gets it, but my dad's, like, pretty blind. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of like, oh, it's like I'm an artist. Am I going to lose my vision one day? And so I don't want to, like, you know, feed into that. But I do want to, like, if I can prep on any level. um, And, I you know, I think things you eat and just having a really clean, like, high-fat type diet can be preventative. And, and it, you know, when I think about people in my ancestry that lost their vision, I think, uh, most of them were pretty unhealthy in general. So I think being healthy is a great ally. So that's, uh, definitely inspiring to stay healthy and get the most out of my vision, but also on some level, like be postured to where if that goes, I mean, everything goes eventually we all die. And uh, all the things we're attached to and our identity and our, our passions and love and joys, they do die, so it's a practice of like yeah making the most out of what you have and being thankful for it, and utilizing it in the most in the highest potential, but also like being flexible and being willing to change and, and grow and it's just made me think about that and life and death and in and, uh, and this different way and I think um probably a lot of people that have like the the typical midlife crisis, have had some degeneration in their faculties in their 40s, like whether it's like they can't run like they used to or something. And, um, and then subconsciously it triggers your relationship with death. And so if you have like a, if you never dealt with that, it could probably be a very tricky time where you need to go buy a car or do these very superficial things to like ah, make it seem like it's all good mm-hmm. and um, get Botox or you know whatever it is. But if you've dealt with death, you know, these things come in. Like for me, like my eyes kind of not getting as good. It just it inspires change and like a, a, a reposturing just with the seasons of life, you know.
0: Right. It seems like the spiritual journey is a never-ending process of accepting and surrendering to death and the fact that one day we'll six, cease to exist as we are.
1: And Totally, man.
0: Eyesight is so crucial. We take it for granted because we always have it. But the thought that we could still be alive, but not be able to see the world, to not see nature, your friends, your lover, your home, all the things that you love can you still love them and be happy in yourself, even if you can't see it with the senses? It's such a like, I don't know if I could do it. Like, not right now. Like, if all of a sudden I lost my sight. Probably be very very bummed about it dude but that, that would be the road to total surrender
1: for what is oh it'd be so dramatically impactful and I, I think i might be wrong in this but i've heard that people that have sudden blindness like the just physiologically not being able to take in the light into your brain it will cause a temporary like loss of motor control where you can't walk mm. temporarily so i might be wrong but i have heard that and I think what we're talking about is that spread out over time. Not that you lose motor control, but metaphorically, like to have no vision, it's like it pulls the rug out of like a lot of identity and security and ways of just knowing yourself with the world, you know, which would be like, whoa, it's a a for sure death of sorts.
0: Right. But the ultimate vision is the vision from inside and how you observe yourself or how you feel yourself. Regardless of the external world that uh, constantly informs us of things going good or bad or beautiful or ugly. Right. You know, when you lose all that, in a way, it could be a liberation. We're like, well, I can't see anything anyway. So might as well just be happy where I'm at inside this dark expanseness of eternity and infinity.
1: Yeah, you have to orient. If things are dissipating and dissolving, then you have to orient to the things that don't dissipate or dissolve. And I think in other cultures, in all cultures, but um, like in, say, like in Indian cultures, Hindu cultures, there's more of a priority of the, as you get to your latter years, you focus more on the spiritual, you know. And all of that probably came about naturally of just the body getting older. And as things slow down, then you start opening up to the part that's ultimately going to continue when your body says no more. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's not as clear and concise in our culture, you
0: know? Yeah, totally. There's a lot of resistance to death.
1: Yeah, and fear and uh, denial, yeah.
0: Right. Um, talking of resistance to death and ultimate surrender, how do you observe our current state of the world?
1: Um, yeah, that's, 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 that's hard to bottle up, but uh, yeah, I think we're in a time of, of massive transition and on a, a very like outer, superficial ordinary mainstream level it's just like a really stirred up pot of of chaos and polarization and ultimately confusion um, you know i think as someone as an individual if they're going through these times and there's a lot of unresolved mental emotional material um, skeletons in the closet type stuff um, the greater times are so kind of chaotic and transitional that it's going to stir people's internal worlds to to where that's going to surface at some point. And uh, if it hasn't surfaced, I think that's why you see a lot of people, they're just in heightened states of stress, or they're just more charged and easily triggered. and And that's kind of the climate, you know, that's the cultural weather across the board. And, you know, people are you know, plugged into these media sources that are just reinforcing that through, like, various modes of opinion construction, and it's really just interesting to, to watch. But I think if you do have some footing on who you really are, and uh, through the bullshit, through the that, you know, cultural crust of uh, mainstream influence, and you've done some level of internal reflection or work or have a spiritual faith or practice or, you know, some type of internal authentic footing, then it's just a time of, uh, it can be ultimately a time of expansion and a time of uh, growth and and refinement. And um, it does feel like on some greater like cosmic weather level that we're just you know we're shifting into a a different season with different qualitative characteristics that will influence new cultural expressions eventually but i think we're through that we're going through this this cultural mass cultural bottleneck of chaos and there's just a lot of wild cards you know there's a lot of unpredictable sort of luck of the draw things happening and uh it's uh interesting times and i think you know you gotta gotta have your sea legs
0: you know, uh huh. You gotta be strong through it all. Yeah. Certainly, is uh, intense, energetical times, and yeah. sometimes things get so intense and even uh, divisive and negative that it's easy to lose hope for the future. Right? Uh, do you have hope for the future? Do you think uh, will humanity will figure it out enough to pull through and and heal?
1: I, yeah, that's a great question. Then. I have no predictions about the future because I re- we're just in a I feel like we're in a, just a state of perpetual novelty and there's just new stuff happening. But I do feel unwaveringly wired to be optimistic about whatever future outcome, regardless of what's happening. And yeah, there's tons of concerns about things. Um, I mean, you know, we, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong, and there's all kinds of problems that are going to have to be solved. Um, but I do think there's a greater unfoldment happening that I believe will happen in this plane with these humans or the grandchildren, grandchildrens of these humans. And I'm optimistic and, and think there's just beautiful growth and evolution happening. And, um, and there will be more consciousness in people in future generations. But it's just a really mucky, um, Nasty detoxification and uh, growing pain happening, and um, and there's probably going to be a lot more volatility. Like before we were on camera, you were, what did you say about when I referenced the chart and the volatility? Yeah,
0: it looked like a, you know, like a, the ups and downs, the high peaks and valleys. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: You're like, what's the outlook? Yeah. I was like, yeah, I think the outlook of humanity probably looks like a Bitcoin chart, you know? <laughs> and uh, cause people were like, oh, Bitcoin is so volatile. It's like, well. It's like the perfect currency for the times. We're in a very volatile, up and down, who knows what's going to happen, black swan events all the time, like got to like really like let go of your baggage if you're going to make it through the doorway here. And, um, but I think the, the greater thing is good. And I'm oriented to that for better or for worse, until I die, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know?
0: Oh, that's yeah. a good attitude. Mm-hmm. So we're coming to the end of our, uh, our interview conversation. Uh, will there be like any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share to our viewers? May they be artists or just any people out there? Any outlooks or perspectives you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I, I, nothing in particular. I think we've kind of said it and just, uh, sincere encouragement for everybody to, you know, be able to lean into their authentic voices and their authentic selves and clear whatever's necessary out of the way to nurture their gifts and just, uh, really be the most uh, the highest potential expression of themselves. And I think that's like uh, you know the greatest quantum activism that we can really cultivate to make a, a good contribution to our surroundings. So mm-hmm. may that be so in everyone's individual world. Yeah, beautiful,
0: yeah. man. Well, thank you so much, Chris D. Yeah. It's funny how our, our names are kind of similar, huh? Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Different, you know? Yours is with a K. Yeah. But I uh, of course, it's Davidson, not Dyer. it's Chris D. Yeah. Do people de-
1: call you Chris D ever? Sometimes, sometimes you know, yeah.
0: college friends, like, yeah, you know, college friends, but yeah. people like calling me Chris Dyer. It's, it's kind of weird, like not even Chris. I'm like, yo, Chris Dyer.
1: Some like- names do that. Yeah. You get the first and last, but yes, yeah, so stoked and thankful you would come over and take the time to just hang out with me in my kitchen slash studio and uh, yeah, just uh, oh, ask me questions and stuff. It's
0: hell beautiful. yeah. You're so beautiful and interesting and I value you and honor you and it's an honor to be here and exchange this uh, moment in time and space. Thanks, bro. And I also value you guys, (laughs) the viewers of the show. Thank you for watching. Please make sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, and I'll see you next time. Blessings. Woo! (laughs) All right. Sweet, man. That's great. Next episode, my guest will be Case Parks. And it said the energy on the planet is going to be getting
1: stronger. Going to be coming swifter, it's going to be moving faster. And what we've been doing is we are clinging to the sides of the
0: shore, and what we're clinging to is what we believe is true and what we know. Like, this is what I know, this is my reality, and I'm clinging. Well, dude, the river's running faster and faster, and you are going to get beat up if you're clinging to this is it, this is it, this is it. What you need to do is Push off from the shore, keep your head above water, and know that the river has its own destination. So please make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Big thanks and see you next episode. Peace!